Diving into data. Diving. Diving. Data. Diving into data. With TC Riley. Oh, it had been too long, and so now we're back with a brand new episode of Diving into Data. We're back, we're back, we're back. Yeah. Hitting 2020 real hard with the data. Uh, but yeah, it, it had been it had been too long. TC and I were talking about how we'd had uh, studio withdrawals. Yes, we had. It's uh, like I said, I enjoy this. It's a little bit of a release from the uh, everyday grind to get on and uh, talk a little data with you, talk some sports, talk some uh, economics, things like that. Yes. So I, uh, I I missed this break in the middle of my week, and uh, hopefully all you are enjoying it out there as well. <laughs> well, it, it it seems like people have been uh, have been checking out diving into data. I've been hit up with a lot of emails about. Where is the show? And so now we're back. We're back. We're back. Now we are back. And TC, over the weekend, uh, you know, we typically start off the show talking about sports. Over the weekend, we saw um, a new football league launch here in the United States, uh, the XFL. Yes, it is uh, time for some off-season non-NFL football for like the eighth or ninth attempt. And uh, maybe this one's going to be different, though. What so before the before you watched any games this weekend? What were your what like what what was your impression of how you thought things would go for the league? So uh, my very very first impression, first heard XFL is going to come back. I flash back to the um, you know a couple of uh, fifteen years ago XFL, ten years ago XFL, yeah. whatever that was. Oh, it was um, it was like early two thousand. Yeah, it was almost twenty so, years ago. Yeah, now. wow, getting old. Um, yes, but uh, the the he hate me and the 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 yeah. the, the gimmicks, the, the nicknames, extreme play, yeah, yeah. the the. It was just kind of tacky. Um, you know, something you could watch for about five minutes, and then you're like, mm, never mind. Yeah. Um, but as I learned more about it and coming into it, I was actually really excited about this. Um, I like a lot of things they've done with a couple of rules. Um, and even though they don't have this, you know, a, official relationship with the NFL, um, I, I still think that there is a place for this. This is pretty much the only professional sports league that doesn't have some type of feeding minors quote-unquote system yeah um we have obviously you know a, maybe a too extensive um minor league baseball uh, system um but then even like you know the basketball teams the mavericks down here at the legends up in frisco mm-hmm. um it, it's always nice to have uh, that either whether it's going on during your season or in this case kind of filling that gap where football fans are probably the little bit most hungry you know yeah. off the super bowl off that high of you know the season ending now we really pretty much we have between now and July we have the draft they have free agency they try and spice it up and make it a you know a 365 news cycle but it is a little boring and you miss the actual game itself so um, it is exciting to see that and I actually think that there's enough different both in terms of innovation with this league and also um, based on kind of the, the business behind it frankly that yeah. I think this can succeed. Um, again, we compare it to the, the last one that popped up and, oh, look at this. And, oh, it was gone in a couple of weeks. Was the AAF. Good old, good old AAF. Yeah. Um, two major issues there. One, they didn't really change anything. Um, they really just, uh, they were just saying, here's the same game just with inferior talent. Yeah. Come watch this. Yeah. In cities. And they tried to tie in some of the local players, this and that. The Trent Richardson one is the one I remember from that. And he was actually doing decent down in uh, Alabama. But realistically they didn't have a good plan and more importantly they didn't have the liquid capital to back that league mm-hmm. if you were starting a football league like this or frankly any sports league you need to be prepared to lose some money up front it's going to happen um you're not just going to come in and then be you know making ridiculous dollars um so you you need to be a little more prepared but before they even kicked off this weekend and the first game on saturday afternoon the xfl 
they had already sold more tickets than the entire AAF did in its entire existence. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, which means that, okay, so there is a general interest in these cities. Um, they also, I think, they did a good job with not kind of, you know, uh, spreading themselves too thin. Eight yeah. teams, major markets around the U.S. Um, it's going to be places where people already like football. People are going to be interested in going. Um, one of the locally cool things, the Renegades taking over um, Globe Life Park and being able to kind of convert that to a football stadium. There's a kind of cool, almost nostalgia type thing going on there. Yeah. Um, I was watching the game with some friends and we were all talking. Oh, think about how many times we sat up on that home run porch and Definitely. watched playoff games and this and that and the other thing. And now you can go watch a football game. It's kind of cool. It's 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 really cool. I I like that aspect of it. And there are people that are like, oh, it's 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 too weird that it's a football stadium now and that sort of thing. But I think. One thing that a new league doesn't have is history, nostalgia, and like exactly kind of tradition and that sort of thing. Exactly, yes. And and when you walk in Globe Life Park, even though it's a football stadium now, I'm still flooded with all of the memories I have from exactly. being there. You know, and, and so I think a lot of people walk into that building and walk into that stadium with good vibes, with good feelings, and you can't artificially create that, right? Like, and so I, I think it was a brilliant move to put the. Stadium, and not just because we did a video on it. I would yeah. be saying this. I, I said this before we did a video on it that, uh, that a lot of people watched and we appreciate very much. But some of the rule changes I thought were particularly interesting yes. uh, with with the XFL. And it's it's almost as if they sat down and they said, okay, if we have football with its current you know basic set of rules, what things would we reimagine if we were inventing the game now? Exactly, and they did, and they did a cool little approach. They did a five-five-five approach, what they called it, and changes from what you'd expect to see in the XFL versus what you see in the NFL every Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, and five-five-five is five gameplay innovations. I think those are the coolest. That's what we're going to talk about more. Um, five timing changes with the clock, um, and five common sense rules. We'll come back to the gameplay innovations. Those are the coolest ones. Yeah. Um, the timing changes. Their whole idea is they want to get this game started, kicked off from you know first whistle to last whistle under two and a half hours, keep people there, have them have a good time, stay engaged, and then frankly get out of there. They don't want to turn this into a four-hour marathon. Some, If we weren't so tight in the NFL, people would not sacrifice you know, eight hours of their Sunday just to watch the first two slate of games, not even talking about the night game. Well, and, and, and even college football is even worse. Yes, like, with the halftime shows that go on for 13 years. Halftime shows and the fact that the clock stops after every you know first down or whatever, and now teams are just passing the ball. All over Every the place. freaking down. College football, you're you're locked in for four hours, which is like your entire Saturday if you just want to watch one game. You have time to maybe mow the yard and watch a football game and then I'm then I'm toast. That's it, exactly. Yeah. Maybe you can have something on you know, the fourth quarter on in the background yeah. later in the day. But that's it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I went to a UT football game as a freshman and by the time it wrapped up I was like halfway through my junior year. It was just <laughs> insane. Um, it was a bummer to miss out on all that college experience because I was sitting there waiting for the band and the yeah, and the Big Twelve especially. I mean yeah. Every every play is a first down. The clock doesn't even run. Yeah, it's we're going three seconds at a time here. But anyway, so they're gonna they're gonna aggressively attack that. They're gonna make a product that people can consume, but it's not gonna stretch them too thin. I think that's a great move. Um, I think it's something all sports leagues again. Baseball pitch clock. Everything's cognizant of. Yeah. Um, in our kind of very consumption society, especially in the digital age we're in. You're not going to capture people's attention for an indefinite amount of time. Mm -hmm. Get your product to be as condensed and action-packed as possible in a window. Get in, get out. Um, so I like that. Um, the common sense rules, a couple things about ball spotting, about how what's a catch, what's not a catch. They tried to make it simple. They yeah. tried to take – the NFL has gone from a – okay, we're going to try and be very basic to, okay, you guys want more rules. Okay, well, here's a first rule. Okay, well, here's another. They've built over the these decades and years a stack of rules that make it almost impossible. It's, well, 
He got two feet, but he was pushed, but he was pushed out of bounds by the defender, but he established one foot. Yeah. Your head's spinning halfway through. They tried to make it simple, so good on them for that. I think simple and quick is a good um, kind of overall tactic, but frankly, I think the gameplay innovations are really cool. Um, One of them that I really, really like, probably I think the best thing that they have is the PAT options. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting rid of the... um, uh, just kick in all together in one, two, or three. You got options. You can choose where you're going from. Um, add some gamification. We're going to pop back to this in a second because I got some data for you about Ooh. what you should be doing there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the other one, some of the, the kickoff and punt rules. Um, the kickoffs are actually something that were really cool. When I first heard about it, it was kind of like, wait, everyone's going to line up on the same side of the field and they're all just going to stand still until the guy catches the ball. What are you talking about? <laughs> when I watched it this weekend, it was actually really cool. Yeah. Um, it, Frankly, I don't understand how this isn't something the NFL could look at immediately addressing. If player safety really is important as they say it is, that's debatable as to right. whether it really is. That's right. that's we won't we won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, but if it really is important, people have a five yard running head start. Um, it challenges the kickers to actually be more accurate. They can't just boom it out the back of the end zone or it comes the whole way out to the thirty five. They have to drop it between the zero and the twenty. Um, it creates a more skilled less dangerous, but still action-packed, um, interesting thing, because uh, kickoffs are the most dangerous playing football. You right. have you have these grown men that are absolutely you know, the, the most athletic and ridiculous people in the world <laughs> running full speed with a 50-yard head start headfirst into each other. Uh, yeah, you, you send two freight trains down the line at each other, bad things are going to happen. It's, it's a car accident. Exactly, it's, yes. Uh, s- science has shown that it is the same as getting in a car accident at, I a think, severe car 35 accident. miles an hour or so, which is not slow. Yes. So that's what's happening to your body on each one of those. Now, when you're going through a, go- a special teams practice and you run 30 of those in a row, how's yeah. that going for you? So, yeah. yeah. A- anyway, love it. Um, I think OT is going to be really, really cool. We haven't seen it yet. Um, the way the rules are set up, it's probably going to make overtime rare a little bit in the XFL, just given the one, two, three option and the mm-hmm. flexibility that provides. But when we have our first overtime, I'm excited. The most exciting thing to me in sports um, is a hockey shootout. Yes. Very similar, a soccer shootout at the very end of the penalty kicks. Um, I'm not even a soccer fan, but I will drop whatever I'm doing if I see penalty kicks popping up on the TV. The most um, pressure-packed moment for, you know. One-on-one, yeah, that it's... thing. It, we can't do one-on-one in football. It's just There's no logical way to do it. But mm-hmm. five shots from the five-yard line, each team alternating the whole well, you know, a year, the Chiefs could be back-to-back Super Bowl champions if the overtime rules let Patty Mahomes get the ball last year <laughs> against the Patriots, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. You know what? The the XFL said, you're absolutely right. We want to put our best players on the field. We want each offense, it's to each defense. They took what college had and that general concept, which yeah. I like, and they made it more exciting by having this one play from the five, you either in or out. There's no, there's no deviation here. It's binomial. Yes, no, best out of five, winner takes all. And that's just cool. That's exciting. Yeah, it's a fun blending of those two ideas of like the shootout idea mixed with what football already is and how it can work in the current constraints of the game. Exactly. But um, but I'm going to go back to that PAT because, again, the data guy, this is this is the coolest one, the one with the most strategy, yes. the one that should lend itself to more aggressive play. Um, and uh, a teaser here, um, guess what? The coaches did what coaches typically do and didn't look at the data and were boring. <laughs> they now. played it safe. Oh, they come played on, it guys. Safe. All right. Um, but um, looking at this, so again, the, the basic rules, you can go for one, two, or three. Ball to two, five, or ten, you mm-hmm. get one shot. Um, it eliminates the kicking aspect of it. I think that's kind of interesting. Um, but the flexibility this provides. Again, in the NFL, it's for the longest time it's been you go for one. 
Um, finally, in the last maybe decade, there have been a couple teams. The Steelers have been pretty good about it. There have been a couple others that have been a little more aggressive with it, going for two occasionally, whether it's early in the game. Because um, the point, the expected points are higher on those plays. You make yeah. about 50% of the attempts from the two-yard line is the estimation. Um, you go in for two, expected points is one. By kicking, even if you make 99%, that's still not quite a full you know, expected point there. Um, more people should be going for two in the NFL. But in the XFL, definitely. You have these options. Um, the way the math works out based on kind of both um, XFL predictions and some NFL analysis of you know success rates from the two, five, and 10 with one play, what they're saying is 0.5 expected points if you go from the one. Again, 50-50, you're going to make that one pointer from the two-yard line. 0.7 if you go from the two. So a whole point two difference there. That's 40% higher expected points. That is not in any way insignificant. Yeah. Um, and then 0.6 for three. Again, the lowest likelihood of making it, but the biggest reward. Um, so in order of what you should logically do without any considerations of the game, it's go for two, go for three, go for one. Um, that makes sense overall. Again, the three, there is a limit when you go. If it gets too difficult to do here, it's going to be you know hard to get anything here. Yeah. Um, even if you only make one out of five, though, that's still going to be better than making 50% from the one or from the two yard line, I should say. That's a good point. That's a really good point. It, it kind of reminds me of the switch that's occurred in the NBA, right? When they realized, oh, if you can shoot, uh, you know, X yep. am, a, a, with X amount of accuracy from three point. Uh, it is infinitely better than shooting, you know, a low percentage, you know, uh, mid-range jump shot. Yep. So the mid-range jump shots really disappeared from the NBA. I saw a, uh, a heat map of the 100 most commonly taken shots in the NBA, and they were all either in the paint or from outside three. No one's taking mid-range jumpers anymore. Um, R.I.P. Kobe and uh, yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Dirk's career. But yeah. you know, so th- those those were two mid-range yep. kind of kings. Yep. Absolutely. But nobody's doing that anymore. It's kind of the Steph Curry revolution to a certain extent, and you guys got guys like James Harden and that sort of thing kind of yep. building on it. But it's that idea of if you can, with a certain level of efficiency, achieve this thing that gets you more points it is worth it to try that thing that gets you more points way more often than it is to try the thing that gets you less points, even if there is more certainty that you're going to potentially make that that play happen. Absolutely, and you see it also in baseball, the disappearance of small ball, and hey, swing yeah. for the fences because, yes, you, you know, you're going to get out more than you don't, but hey, if you're hitting a homer 20% of the time, um, that's an actual run on the board mm-hmm. if you got guys on base even more so. So it, it, we're seeing it in all sports where, yes, it's the um, go for the... Um, the biggest piece of pie there, whatever, you know, whatever that, you know, uh, highest um, outcome is um, because the data lends itself to it, that just because um, humans might be more conservative in nature, especially in professional sports where um, you're going to, you know, previously, I think throughout history, you were going to get ripped a lot more for being aggressive and failing than taking the safe kind of traditional path um, and not making it happen. It's, Hey, well, we did what everyone does and we just didn't get lucky this time. Yeah. Um, We've had that shift in, I think all sports too. No, 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 no. That's not, that excuse isn't going to cut it anymore. Um, you need to be aggressive. The numbers play out and say, literally, this is a more efficient outcome. Um, again, in the XFL, pretty much you should be at the beginning of the game going for two every single time, Yeah. Um, without doubt. And then as you get closer to the end of the game, um, there's an awesome chart. The XFL itself actually created and put out there. Another thing I think is awesome. They're actually pushing some of this data and some of this information themselves. It's not just the um, you know, uh, the, the, the exterior sites and the number fire and the football focus and stuff like that. They're yeah. doing it. It's the league itself saying, Hey guys, this is probably a good idea. Look at this. Look, 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 we ran the numbers. We did this for you. We made this easy. Yeah. Um, but when you get near the end of the game, then it gets pretty easy. If you're up by like six plus or so, then okay, you should probably just go for the one at this point. Let, let's get the, 
Um, let's take the safe route. Let's not risk it and stuff like that. Um, but when you are down in the game, there's almost never a circumstance when you're down by more than two or three points that you shouldn't be going for three. Yeah. Um, it, it just it, it helps you catch up. It, it makes again, it makes logical sense. Um, but when you play out the numbers and it still looks like that, it's like, OK, we got something here. Um, but back to my teaser, unfortunately, we have one problem. All these coaches are former NFL coaches from those <laughs> traditional coaching trees. Jim Zorn, uh, bless his heart, former NFL coach, um, first game, I think it was the D.C. Defenders, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. um, scored the first touchdown in the XFL. How exciting. What are they going to do? Numbers say you should go for two. Let's see if he goes for three, just because no one's ever been able to do this. And they go for one, run it up the middle. They don't make it. Or they, actually, they threw it, and they threw an interception in the end. Oh. It was like... If you're going to throw it randomly in the end zone, you, there's not that big of a difference from the 2, the 5, the 10. Just go for it. Come yes. on, dude. Um, it should lead to more aggressive play. I think the league, even if in releasing this stuff, is encouraging that more aggressive mm-hmm. mindset. Um, I think they're trying to probably, I guarantee, they sent out some type of memo this week that, hey, guys, incredibly successful first week. Um, every league's going to have that drop off after that initial new shiny kind of thing that was this weekend. Um, you guys need to be aggressive. Make our product aggressive, fun, compact, to the point, yeah. different. That is how we win with this. Um, we have the capital to stay in business for a few years. McMahon's digging deep into the, the those wrestling pockets of his mm-hmm. um, and willing to fund this to make it work, and it can. But one of the only ways I could see this failing is if they get too conservative, if they start drifting back towards the well, let's play it safe. Let's go more the NFL route. Yeah. That is how you lose. Be a different, every business, you need a differentiator. Be different, mm-hmm. be aggressive, go attack a new space. And this could be something really cool that we're watching for a long time. Yeah. Of course, we didn't get to see what Bob Stoops would do uh, in the event yeah. of uh, scoring a touchdown because we didn't. the Dallas Renegades did not score a touchdown in their, I think, 15 to 9 loss. Yep. Uh, and uh, I, I think they've been taking some lessons for the Cowboys on how to <laughs> play offense. So it's uh, uh, get out of Arlington. It uh, must be something in the water. Well, I. Uh, We'll see. You know what? If you uh, one of the things that I loved about the games was uh, they had the betting lines just there on the yes, screen, right, yes. right there on the scoreboard. And I think every game hit the under. Yep. And so I, I think there's something to be said for opening weekend, new league, you know, new season of, of new stuff, rules. new rules, figuring out all of those things. Definitely plays more to the defense where it's less precision, more of just like kind of get the basics right, disrupt yep. the offense. Yep. Uh, easier to disrupt than to have those precision timing routes on passes and to figure out exactly, okay, we have these kind of new wrinkles where you can have two forward passes if the first one is behind the line of scrimmage. You yep. know, there are all these kind of new wrinkles and new things that you can do in the league. And so just figuring those out and kind of getting that timing and getting the rhythm that you need to run a successful offense, all that kind of stuff. I think we'll come with time, but I, I'm kind of kicking myself for not seeing that coming a little bit with the uh, yeah. You're absolutely right. It's the, 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 the preseason effect yes. where early in the preseason you always see it, it's easier. The first day of padded practice, every football season, every team defense usually wins against the offense. Mm-hmm. The offense has more, like you said, more technical things they got to work out. The defense um, can rely a little bit uh, less on scheme, a little more on hey, go tackle that guy. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Interested to see how it develops. Think we're going to see that scoring get up. I think that's a way that they win is getting that scoring up as a league. Um, and Dallas particularly, if they get Landry Jones back, no offense to it was a Nelson's the guy's last name, I think, yeah. um, this weekend, uh, that that dude shouldn't be playing quarterback for <laughs> like, you know my rec league team. So I yeah. uh, you know, let's get a real quarterback back in here. I think better things are to come. Absolutely. Um, for both the, uh, the team and the league overall. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, no, I I 100% agree, and I'm I'm excited to see where it moves in the future. Also, kind of as we were talking, expected, uh, you know, expected points totals and how that works in the NBA, in XFL, just in football in general. The thing that most changed my mind about all of this kind of stuff, uh, and, and opened my eyes to a new way of seeing games was, um, the expected runs chart in baseball. Have you seen this? It's the, yes, the I RE, have. RE24. So you have 24 uh, potential, um game states in baseball when when someone's batting depending on number of outs number of runners on base there are 24 possible scenarios everything from runner on first and no outs to runner on third and you know two outs outs or or whatever and it breaks down based on past performances what a team can expect to score in each of these uh, scenarios so the thing that most i think radically changed my mind was with a runner on first and no outs, your expected runs for the rest of the inning in baseball is .831. So you're expected to score almost one run in that case, given what teams have done in in the past. A runner on second and one out, so if you bunt that guy over to second, your expected runs drop to .64 because you've basically brought the inning a third of the way closer to being done. Yep, you've burned, um, your, uh, burned up that powder you have with uh, the outs to play, so yep. Exactly, and so you start to look at this chart and evaluate decisions that you know teams make at various times and you think this is really interesting and it kind of started to shift my perspective and you can apply that to football to basketball to all of the different decisions that that get made during a game does this bring you closer to winning and uh it's 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 a fun way of looking at it and i'm not the most math savvy data guy uh, so but so that chart really helped it make sense to me it really drove home the point in a sport that i watch quite a bit it's really interesting it's really cool that's one let's dive in deeper on that one in a future yeah. episode because that expected run chart's cool um we just might need to make a second version for the astros oh <laughs> um so that they can uh, they're I think it's a little different when you know the science anyway dude there is uh, a lot that we could dive into on the astros just from a data perspective <laughs> magically and I, I i mean magically every pitcher that goes to the astros increases their spin rate uh, yep. by an absurd amount yep every hitter that hits for the i, I don't know uh let's let's, let's do a future uh, episodes. wall street journal stand aside <laughs> diving into data investigation coming to a radio near you yes that is uh that is coming up shortly but Unfortunately, this uh, this needs to be the end of our sports talk for today. <laughs> when we get back, uh, one of the other, I mean, one of the biggest things that you see in the news these days is the coronavirus, and so we need to talk a little bit more about that. Some of the impact that we're seeing from that in uh, around the world in the economy, and uh, some numbers that have come out of the coronavirus scare. So uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. What does it mean to be a maverick of marketing? I'm Shannon Maverick. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. for the Maverick of Marketing radio show. Each week, I'll be chatting with a different marketing expert to find out what makes them a true maverick. Taking risk is being a maverick. You aren't learning. You're going to get left behind. You can either contribute to the problem or you can solve the problem. To listen, visit marketscale.com slash industries and click on MarketScale Radio at the top of the page. Stop running with the herd and start being a true maverick of marketing. All right, CC, coronavirus. Yes, it's uh, you, you've been hearing it. It's on every news station, every paper, every story you're reading. Um, and actually, now, as of yesterday, COVID-19, COVID-2019, the new official name for this strain of the oh. virus. Yeah, coronavirus is actually a brand of viruses. It's a chain. It's uh, think of it almost like the flu. And this is the Spanish flu. Um, COVID-19 is what they're calling it. So Wow. Uh, a little, uh, yeah, I literally found this out like two hours before we came on today. Just happened to read that. Um <laughs> But yes, again, you've heard about it. 
Um, we're up to globally over 45,000 infections. We're well over 1,000 deaths. Um, this is officially worse than SARS, which is the most comparable thing we've mm -hmm. seen in the last few decades um, to this. So um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of concern out there. Um, and we're not going to touch on all the medical side of this and the, the human nature of this. Again, frankly, um, it's a scary thing. I hope everyone out there, especially, you know, anyone in the China area where it's really bad. Yeah. Um, is taking care of themselves, keeping their family healthy and safe. Um, especially always sucks with things like this because it, it tends to affect the uh, most fragile part of the population, mm -hmm. the elderly, children, people with pre-existing conditions. So um, first off, before we get into the economics of this, hope everyone stays safe out there. Um, maybe wear a mask, be safe on the uh, you know public transportation, stuff like that, just to be careful. Well, it's, it, what, what's interesting is how this has affected things that you, you might not think of. Like we, we go to trade shows a lot here yep. at Market Scale, and we have uh, one member of our team that is over in the Netherlands right now for ISE. Right. And so just the, the impact, because a lot that's the biggest pro-IV show in the world, where a lot of companies are based in China. And so there was a lot of concerns about, should people come from China and go to the Netherlands for this show? How do you handle this? What's the impact on a, on a trade show that is in Amsterdam, right? You know, and so it's, it's just weird to think about, because, yeah, exactly. You wouldn't necessarily think that. But as you mentioned, that's an industry dominated by Chinese companies. Yep. Um, I know quite a few of our clients and other com contacts we have in that industry decided to pull out and not go this year. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that, that there's significant impact to those business. There's some serious business and information that gets shared at these shows. Um, and so if a trade show is bad, let's zoom this lens way out here from yeah. the Pro-AV trade show to look at the world economy. Um, there is no doubt that this virus, this epidemic, pandemic, whatever you want to classify it as technically at this point, um, will have an economic impact on the global economy mm -hmm. and on a couple of specific economies even more so. Um, right now, the estimations are 2 to 3, uh, 0.2 to 0.3, I'm sorry, percent slowing of global global economic growth geez i'm tripping over my Ooh. words here um which sounds like, oh well, only 0.3 percent it's we're talking about the global economy yeah um going down by that amount that that's not insignificant there's not many events um and things that happen that impact the global economy that much mm -hmm. um specifically when we dive in obviously again china being the epicenter the one that is most critically impacted by this their Q1 GDP is estimated to go down anywhere between 0.5% the whole way up to about 6 or 7%. Um, it could literally, uh, China has about a 5 6% year-over-year growth rate with their GDP over the last decade or so, especially recently. Yeah. Um, this could literally in Q1 almost stagnate them, which first off, it, it's not maybe as terrible as some people think, because again, we're not talking about the economy shrinking by 6%. We're talking about it flatlining and not growing. Yes, incredibly significant. Yes, very, very big um, downstream impacts. Um, however, it's not necessarily, we're not saying that the whole country is going to shut down or anything here. Right. Um, but um, one of the other little nice things to, uh, the, the, we're tying it back to SARS, what you typically have seen after these stars, swine flu, bird flu, um, a couple of the other ones that weren't as severe as this, aren't you know impacting as many people, having as many uh, deaths and things like that. But markets tend to recover and actually have a nice little bump after these once these are um, whether it's a vaccine's developed, it's considered effectively contained by like the WHO and organizations like that. Um, but markets tend to weather the storm pretty well and actually sometimes even get a nice little bump from this, almost like a, hey, everyone kind of pulled together. It mm -hmm. seems like countries work together. You know, the look, humanity actually works um, <laughs> kind of bump. Um, but um, while that's great and all, um, I also, we have to be aware that this virus in particular might be even worse than other ones in the past because of where it started. In Wuhan, where this is originating, the worst hit area of this, um, a lot of people call it Chicago of China. Um, yeah. It is a leader in the manufacturing kind of industrial sector um, in China. 
Um, and there is a common saying that a one-day slowdown in Wuhan could be a one-month slowdown to every other company um, impacted by things that come Ooh. from there. I challenge you to find a company that doesn't own a product or use something, have something in their office that was originally created in Wuhan. Um, and so the, the fact that we have this kind of major industrial center getting having factories shut down for weeks, um, the Lunar New Year being a holiday being extended, you know, well beyond what it ever does, mm-hmm. um, we are going to see some downstream impacts. And that actually, I've said that twice now for those of you who've been listening, <laughs> um, upstream versus downstream are terms of the week. Yes. Um, so upstream impact at the most basic level is when something at the end of a supply chain, at the end of a line, um, impacts the things in front of it. So if Boeing, for instance, is shutting down planes, it has the upstream impact of the different suppliers that feed Boeing and create parts for Boeing, having to lay people off, having to adjust their predictions, having to change their business based on the struggles Boeing is having. Those are upstream impacts where the final product impacts the supply chain. But what we're really talking about here is downstream impacts, which is the supplier, the first piece of that chain has mm-hmm. an impact and it affects everything after that. So not only the intermediates, not only the shipping industry for all that stuff, not only the end producers, but even eventually the consumer, all of us are going to be impacted by these downstream impacts. Um, and uh, so uh, real quick, running through some numbers, um, U.S. economy, they're expecting probably a 0.2 to 0.4% hit to our Q1 GDP um, based on this. That's a range, um, depending on who you go to, whether you go to Moody's or different organizations, the uh, central bank, stuff like that. They mm-hmm. all have a, a, a slight number. Um, but also our Commerce Secretary, Wilbur Ross, actually just came out and said, this might actually be good for the U.S. We might have this temporary little bump, but we think we're going to weather the storm. He thinks it's going to encourage companies to move back to North America, potentially, from going overseas. I I'm not going to get too deep into that because, frankly, I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah. Um, that seems incredibly knee-jerk reactionary. Um, but um, the other thing that's a really good indicator for us, a good litmus test for us, is that U.S. stocks are expected to hit an all-time high today. Mm-hmm. Um, again, and the stock market's doing really well. Our economy's still doing really well. Um, I think that much more of what's going on here might be the impacts from the primaries going on, the expectations for November and the election. Yeah. I think that is dri- a much bigger driving force than China right now. But it is something we need to be aware of. There will be companies in the U.S. impacted by this. Um, and uh, the one specific thing that makes me a little nervous, um, we finally worked out this phase one deal with China after years and years <laughs> of this kind of trade. I'm not even going to call it a trade war. It was a trade um, uh uh, skirmish. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, two teenage girls, you know, slap fighting in the hallway type of thing we had going on. With Trade China. wrestling match. There you go. <laughs> Arm wrestling. I don't even go wrestling. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But uh, they agreed to purchase $200 billion worth of goods from us in the next two years. Um, that was one of the major components of it. Kind of a, hey, we still are going to export a lot of stuff from China to the U.S., but we will also start importing more. They already have come out and said that based on some of the economic issues it's going to have in China, some of the supply chain things it's going to do, they're really worried already about something they agreed to like a month or two ago, Goodness. being able to hit that number. Yeah. If depending on how those things go, I, I, I'm concerned with that. Anytime there's a disruption that I, I kind of just want to see us and China get to a good place with trade. I think that it's appropriate that we've kind of taken, you know, the U S is a little bit stronger stance on some of these things, mm-hmm. but I think we're finally pulling together, which at the end of the day is what we all need to be doing from a global economic standpoint, a little worried that's going to rock the boat. We'll see what happens. Um, this has, uh, the other quick things about this, um, I want to touch on is that while everything I'm talking about here is under the expectation that sometime in the next like three to six months that this will be completely contained, everything will be good. Right. 
there's always a chance. There's a health factor this we haven't discussed. This thing could still take off. It could develop. There have been diseases like this that have gotten progressively worse. Yeah. Um, mortality rates have significantly risen as it's infected more of the population. Um, the worse the thing is, the bigger the impact. It's real straightforward. So yeah. Um, the quarantining, the things the Chinese government has been doing, regardless of your you know opinions on the policies and stuff that they've kind of implemented, um, it's been good and it's a good thing. So we should keep that up. Um, good on the Chinese government for trying to contain this. Um, but the last little thing we'll leave you with today is the comparison to SARS, since that's what everyone wants to look at. Yeah. Um, if you look at nothing else, we've talked about how this is going to impact the markets, this, that, and the other thing. There's more deaths and all. China has changed so much since SARS. Yes. GDP back when SARS was huge in 2002, $1.6 trillion. Today, oh. $13 trillion. Yeah. Almost a tenfold, almost a magnitude order of increase. Global exports, $0.4 trillion a year to two point five. Again, six times higher than what it was then. Travel, especially travel to the U.S., 150,000 people a year from China to the U.S. back then, 2.8 to 3 million people a year now. So I think where we're really, really, really going to see this hit is that um, those actual people mover type of uh, industries. Mm -hmm. Yes, there will be a manufacturing and industrial impact. Yes, they might be able to recover somewhat from that. It might be more of a lag than a true disruption, but travel, casinos, shipping, things that require the actual movement of people um, around, which is obviously the big no-no right now is, hey, we're, we're not having people who could potentially be contagious go to other parts of the world. We're trying to prevent yeah, that. Yeah. Um, those industries might take a big hit. I'm curious to see um, Boeing's already having a hard enough time. Airlines might be hit pretty hard by this one. I could see long term. Are that going to, you know, is that going to have more upstream impacts? There you go. There's that term again. There it is. Um, uh, to what's going on there. It, it, this is still, um, it's definitely a thing. The question is how big of a thing, again, from the economic perspective, is this going to become? And I don't think we have an answer now. Mm -hmm. Depending on who you ask, more optimistic, more pessimistic, I think it's still too early to tell. But it is real. It is of impact. Um, and it's going to be something that's definitely worth monitoring as this disease kind of continues to progress in the containment of it, as well as the economic impacts as they start to trickle down further and further and further. This is uh, this is really fascinating. And I actually did a podcast uh, recently that's on our publications. Um about check it out. yeah you, you could check it out i i don't know that i want to just kind of say what company it is and that, that sort of thing but just no. yeah they they have factories in different parts of the world and one of them is in china right and it was really interesting talking to him about the particular um plans that they put in place since sars for instances like this but there is a i think there is an expiration on how long you can weather certain storms so i i think you're right i think companies have adapted well put continuity plans into place to yep. um you know keep disruption from happening up to a certain extent but that only lasts for so long and so it'll be it'll be very very interesting to see how this continues to develop going forward yep but it's going to be interesting. That's, that's the best way to put it. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> Developing story. Stay tuned. That's exactly right. All right. Well, we got to sign off for this week, but it's been a good time, TC. It's good to be back. Let's do this again next week. We'll do it again next week, everybody. So thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Diving Into Data. We'll talk to you soon. See you.